This is recording number 11000 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 22, 2012. This is the ninth message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be talking today, or continuing today, our study um, called uh, The Way. And the reason that this series in the book of Hebrews is titled this uh, as such is because in uh, the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we're told that Christ has opened up for us a new and living way. Access to the, to the Heavenly Father that we don't deserve and have no... no uh, we are estranged from Him by, by our sin. But Jesus has opened up um, an access, full and complete access to the deepest heart of God. And, and uh, we've talked a lot about that. We are looking every week as we make our way through the book at a different facet of what that means this new and living way that Christ has opened up for us. And today we're going to be talking about how the, the fact is this is the way of faith. The way of faith. Now I don't know if you've ever tried to define faith. <clears throat> it's not easy. <clears throat> it, um, and there's an awful lot of misconception about what faith is. What I'm hoping today is that we, as we set ourselves to look at this, um, what for many of us is a familiar passage of Scripture, that we'll see it with new eyes, fresh eyes, and that the Lord will reveal to us something new and uh, more clear about faith. So let's begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 11, the book of Hebrews. Now faith is the substance or realization of things hoped for, the evidence or the confirmation of things not seen, or of confidence is another way of describing it too. Now faith is the realization of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. So we begin this passage with the, a Bible definition of the word faith. And I want to just dig into that with you a little bit before we go much further. It says here that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And there is a kind of a confusion about these two words, faith and hope. And we, we've talked about this before, so some of this will be familiar with you or to you. But they are different terms and they meet, they address different things. Faith and hope are not the same. But sometimes people use the word hope or they, they use the word faith, let's put it that way, they use the word faith as though it were a hopefulness and even that is kind of misconstrued because the Bible's definition of hope is different than we use it. We use it as though uh, it's a, 
it's a possibility, but there, you know, the, the thing that we're hoping for or the thing that we want to see come to pass, there's a possibility that it might happen, but there's an awful lot of, of uh, evidence to the contrary that it wouldn't take place. And so we're hoping it comes to pass. Sometimes people will talk about faith that way. I'm believing God. I'm, I'm putting my faith and trust in God that what uh, I believe He wants to do or will do will come to pass and it has that sense of uncertainty about it. We're not quite sure, but we're believing. Well, I want to I uh, tackle these two words just a little bit today because they're so crucial to everything about our life in Christ and we're going to see that very plainly in just a minute as we look at another verse in this passage. But I want you to see that, first of all, hope is not what we normally think of. Hope is the joyful expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled. Hope is the joyful expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled. And hope does not begin with me and my desires. You understand that? Hope does not start with me. This is what I want to see happen, so I'm hoping it does. The Bible's hope, it doesn't, the Bible's kind of hope does not start with me. It starts with God. It's not about me and my desires. About, it's about God and His promises. When you put your hope, your joyful expectation in the fulfillment of God's promises, dear one, you will never be disappointed. Ever. God keeps His promises. Faith enables us to interact with the future fulfillment of God's promises, to live in the realization of them now. So God makes promises to us. The, I've said this before. I'll say it again. This book, they tell me, I haven't counted them myself, but they tell me there's 7,000 promises of God in this book. God has made promises to us. And you can count on those promises being fulfilled. And so it's safe to let your heart rise with, with hope, godly hope, the joyful expectation. We can allow ourselves to embrace the joyful expectation that everything God has promised, He will fulfill. But faith is more than that. It takes it a step further. Faith allows me to reach into that future place where the promises of God will be fulfilled and have a, be so anchored, so firmly in, um, attached to that reality that it's as though I possess it now. Now, I don't want to sound metaphysical or mysterious or weird, but that's what this says. Faith is the realization, the substance of things hoped for. The confidence... Or the evidence of things not seen. You know, my, my daughter, uh, Dayspring, is, uh, my oldest daughter, is helping our family with a project. We're trying to all go together 
to uh, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming next summer. When our kids were growing up, our family often vacationed there. And uh, so we, we have a, you know, all of you have some place in, that you like to go and hang out. And um, that's, that's kind of uh, where we like to go. But it's not, it's not cheap and it takes, you know, time to get there. And when you get all of these family members, as our family continues to grow, you know, pointed in one direction, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So my oldest daughter is helping us do that. And we've been, um, for instead of, uh, or in lieu of giving one another gifts at Christmas and birthdays and things like that, we've been contributing to a fund so that we would have the financial resources to be able to do this. And um, I was managing it for a while, and I've turned it over to her. And uh, we don't quite have all the money yet that we're going to need, but we, we, we're very confident that by next summer that we will. However, the... The cabin that we want to rent there for our families, or actually it'll be two or three, I forget, that we need, um, they book, you know, 18 months, two years in advance. So we don't have the money yet, but we got to secure those places and they require a deposit. So we have raised probably half of what we're going to need so far, uh, but we've got another, you know, year to, to get the rest of it. So we're pretty confident that we will have it. And so all of us have a joyful expectation that we're going to Jackson Hole next summer. Our grandchildren, we're all looking forward to it. We're going there. Nobody in our family questions that we're going there. We are going there next summer. We have a joyful hope. We have a joyful expectation that we're all going to be together there next summer. But we don't yet have the fulfillment of that promise, right? And I know this is a crude illustration, but faith is what says, you know, this is going to happen, and so we're going to book the rooms. We're going to put the deposit on that place, even though there is, you know, technically the possibility of losing that money, not to us. We're confident it's going to happen. And so the promises of God to you are so sure, dear ones. We can have this, we can live in this joyful sense, this ongoing sense of peace and security about the fact that our God will keep every word of his promise. In fact, the Bible says he's watching over every dot, over every eye, the smallest the smallest stroke of the pen of his word, he's making sure that completely is fulfilled. He is going to keep his promises to you, no matter what it looks like now. Yeah, maybe you don't have it all yet, but he is good for it. And you can bank on it now. You can live now in the realization of what your faith secures. You with me? Now faith is, I said we're going to read about this in a minute, and now we are. Verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This thing about faith is critical, dear ones. It's important for us to understand it. If we're going to be followers of Christ, it says it is impossible to please God 
without faith. Why? Because how can you even have a relationship with God if you don't believe in something you can't see? If you don't reach out into the realm of the unseen and get a hold of it, realize it by faith for now. That truth about God, dear one. And I I would doubt very much whether there's anyone, regardless of how you see your relationship with God, I doubt that anyone's put aside the time that it takes to come here today and sit in this chair and listen to me You haven't done that unless you have a confidence that there is a God. That's faith, dear one. And without it, it's impossible to please God because you can't have a relationship with Him. Not only does it say that that faith has to be about that there is God, who I can't see, but that He is everything the Bible says He is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith is important. It's important, it's essential. So we've talked about the definition uh, or some of the definition of faith, the way of faith defined. And we've said that it's more than hope and that it's essential. And now I want to talk to you about the way of faith marked because most of you will know that the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is what we often refer to as the Bible's Hall of Faith. You know, baseball and football and basketball and all these sports and other things they have there Uh, halls of fame this chapter is the Bible's hall of faith because you find here the names of many people who have gone before us and evidenced what we just described as faith verse 4 says by faith Abel verse 5 says by faith Enoch verse 7 says by faith Noah verse 8 says by faith Abraham verse 11 says by faith Sarah verse Uh, 20 says, by faith Isaac. Verse 21, by faith Jacob. Verse 22, by faith Joseph. Verse 23, by faith Moses. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab. Verse 32, what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You know, in all those people's names that were... Or there were a lot of names I read, but there were also a lot of people referred to without a name. The path of faith, the way of faith faith has been marked not only by the famous but by the anonymous. There's going to be a lot of stories, dear ones, we're going to be regaled with when we're in heaven by people who uh, understood what it was to reach out and by faith and realize the promises of God and we never knew their name. There were no books written about them. 
They didn't go on the Christian speaking tour circuit. They didn't have their own television show. But they were like you and me, trusting in a God that they couldn't see, a God who was a rewarder of those who diligently sought him. And they found that he was faithful to keep his promises, of whom the world was not worthy. It says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 39, we read it earlier. It says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Do you notice this? These were people who put their trust in the, and, and when it says the promise, we're talking about the one promise that overarchs every other promise of God, that there would be a Messiah, that he would pay the penalty of our sins and he would restore for us access to relationship with God. That promise is the one above all others and every person described in this passage came before the fulfillment of that promise. They didn't see it. See, faith is not about um, the promises we've received it's about the promises we've believed. A lot of times we gauge, uh, we, we'll, we'll gauge a person's faith by what they've received. You know, how many uh, people they've prayed for that have been healed. How many people that they, or how much uh, money they, they have received by living by faith or any of these other calculations that we, we have a, a way of developing into a scorecard of faith. But faith is not about what I've received. It's about what I've believed. And every one of these people described here, it says, did not see the fulfillment of the overarching promise. And yet, it says that their belief, their faith in God was such that they were not worthy of this world. It says that they, in verse 13, it says these did not receive the promises, but having seen them afar off, having looked with eyes of faith, you know, because faith, another way of thinking about faith is that it's, the, it's our spiritual sense. You know, we interact with this world by touch, taste, smell, hearing, these senses that we have. Well, the way we interact with the unseen world, which is the real world, dear one. I don't know what you think, but you know what? The chair that you're sitting there, as real as it seems, ultimately it's going to be gone. The real world is the one you can't see. And it is as real and as, as uh, substantive as anything that you can imagine. And interacting with that world, you don't do with your senses. You do by faith. And so even though they, they could not, they did not realize the fulfillment of that promise, they saw it. And then it says they embraced it. And then it says they confessed, I'm not of this world. I'm of that one. And that's what made the difference. For the, that's why we have these people listed in this hall of faith. I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those who by faith see what God sees, I want to embrace that. And I want to hold tightly to that. No matter what anything else, no matter what my senses tell me. I want to hold on to that and I want to be one who confesses, you know what? I'm not of this world. I'm of that one. That's what they said. Now, that brings us to chapter 12. 
and uh, verses 1 and 2 because chapter 11 ends by saying they didn't receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us we're partners with them those who have gone before we're partners with them but on this side of the cross we have seen the fulfillment of that promise at least in part but stay tuned there's more to come the cross the empty tomb It was a huge milestone in the fulfillment of God's overarching redemptive promise, but it's not over yet. There's more to come. Way more to come. And we get to be part of it. So chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, get this, dear ones. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these people that have been mentioned, those who have gone before us, who the Bible says the world was not worthy of, they fill the grandstands and observe us as we take our place on the track. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You ready to run? You ready to take your place on that track? I don't look... I. With the likes of Moses and the harlot Rahab in the stands, I don't want to screw this up. I want to bear the flame of of their faith. I want to add to it with my own. I want to take this the next mile, the next two miles. You know, this is not a sprint. I want to go the distance. And it says some things here I want to note just as we close up. It says... Let's lay aside every weight. Let's, let's um, deal with impediments. Let me get my slides caught up here. So we're talking about the way of faith and how to run it. First, let's deal with impediments. There's two types that are mentioned here. First, the weight. Let's lay aside every weight. I, you know, look, I need to lose some weight. I don't know about you. Uh, it's not a pleasant thought. It's hard to do. And, you know, I keep putting, I keep putting it off. Just like you. I'm not alone. (laughs) But if I, in any, look, I'm so old and then decrepit, I'm not going to do anything athletic anyway. (laughs) But if, (laughs) the best that I do is I kind of walk fast. But even then, I've, if I'm going to be good at that, I need to lose some weight. We're not going to be effective in this race that we are called to run if we're in, impeded, if we're held back by stuff that's weighing us down. What is, weigh, what is holding you back? What is holding you back from a full abandon to God? And whatever it is, dear one, lay it aside. You're going to need to lay it aside. That's a big one right there. And then it says, lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. And that turn of phrase in the original language is very much like a basketball 
player on the offensive with a defensive opponent in a man-to-man defense where every turn he makes, that guy is in his face. Hands, you know, everything trying to obstruct his view, trying to keep him from making progress down the court. Sin is like that, you know. We think, oh well, it's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Sin is like having somebody in your face all the time keeping you from progress in God and we need to lay it aside. So, deal with impediments. Then it says endure. I mentioned this earlier. This is not a sprint. He says here... um, Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. You know, it's not enough to go for a while and decide, you know, I'm going to sit it out for a little bit now. I'll take my place on the seat on the bench. And I see this with Christians, and I've I've done it. My wife calls it taking a carnal break. You taking a carnal break, Randy? Ouch! Man! But it's the... That's the stinking truth. I mean, I just decide, look, I've been, I've been getting up at the crack of dawn and seeking God now for several months. I'm pretty good. I think I'll take a carnal break. This is not a sprint. This is not something that you just decide, well, today I'll do it. Maybe I won't tomorrow. This is something that is moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, month by month, year by year. We in, this is a, a long-term commitment to Jesus Christ. And then finally, he says, Run with endurance the race set, you, set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That means he's the one that fires the gun when you take off. He's the one holding the tape at the end. And he's the one cheering you on every mile. If, you, if we set our sight on him, nothing, nothing can get in the way.